Good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. Amir Tzashem, we should hear Besoros Tovos, Yeshuos, Venechamos. For Am Yisrael, we should hear only, only good things. I want to thank our generous and ministry sponsors, Dr. Zavia and Bella Morgan, a sponsor in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galvin, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer. We remain always appreciative to them. Also, this morning is sponsored the Kavod Rosh in memory of Dr. Jacob M. Hiller, who exemplified and modeled Simcha Sachayim. Also, this morning is dedicated for a speedy refuah shlema, Moshe Aaron Ben Rachel Leah. We are starting a new limud. We completed uh, that Sicha uh, Bayer of Druk, and we're going to start learning uh, something new together. We'll dive into it in a moment. But first, a, um, a couple of thoughts and comments. First of all, Baruch Hashem, you know you're successful when your children are also always thinking about good Russian material for you and Amunashir material for you. <laughs> so my holy son-in-law Hillel yesterday said that uh, his beautiful daughter, my granddaughter Miri, was lying on her stomach, little baby, and he went to pick her up and he picked her up. But as she was being lifted and she didn't know who was doing this to her, she started to cry. She panicked. She was frightened. And when he turned her over and she saw that it was her father, she had a big smile and she was calm. So he wanted me to know there's an Amuna message that sometimes it feels like we're being uh, jolted and lifted and there's a bunch of, um, we're going through turbulence in our life and we feel why and who and what's happening and where am I going? But if we just turn over and look up and we'd realize it's our Father who's lifting us up, if we'd look at Hashem and we'd see it's our Father who's lifting us and carrying us, then we could have a big smile. Then we go for the ride. Now, he didn't tell her where she was going. He didn't tell Mary what's happening. But she didn't need to hear. Because as long as you look up and you see your father, once you know it's your father, you're not panicked anymore. You're no longer frightened. That's all you need. So today's uh, Amuna message brought to you by Hillel Storch, my son-in-law. He's good. He can stay. He can remain in the family. <laughs> was, a good, uh, was a good message. Baruch Hashem. It was a beautiful, beautiful Amuna thought. Number one. Number two. Number two. In these difficult, dark days, this Eser Yaakov, this Matzav that we still find ourselves in, and we're so desperate to get out of, we want to wake up. Every day we want to wake up and we want to see a headline that Sinwar's head is on a plate, he was taken out, that the hostages were brought home, that Hamas is no longer, that Hezbollah was eliminated. Every day we want to desperately wake up to that, to that reality. And we feel and we fear that we need Mashiach to come for that to happen. We want to hear the president of MIT was fired. We want to hear that AOC is no longer in Congress. We want to hear that we got a long list of things that we want to hear. And it feels like it, it will take until Mashiach comes. And on the way in, someone shared with me, you're going to give out those cards for Mashiach. Mashiach Brachas cards? Mashiach Brachas cards. What are Mashiach Brachas cards? What are they? Brachas to say when Mashiach comes? Okay, I wasn't even familiar. It's good to know. We got to all get ready. We got to get ready. And we hope he comes before the end of our shir. So on the one hand, we're going to take a card, and there's a bracha we'll say to welcome Mashiach, and we can't wait. And Afa Pishimus Mame, even though it's taking time, nevertheless, every day we're waiting. Every day we're waiting patiently and patiently and patiently, and we want it to come. But I want to share with you as we begin this morning a message, a thought. Rav Avram Sikluger, the tzaddik from Eretz Yisrael, was at my home last night, he gave a shir to men in our backyard. And he shared the following thought among many others. He's an author of 50s Farum, he's a big tzaddik, he's a very holy person. Rav Kluger said the following. He said, sometimes we're sitting and we're waiting for Mashiach and every day he doesn't come, every hour he doesn't come, we define and we describe as a disappointment. It was a, it was a failure. Mashiach's not yet here. Oi, 
Nebuch, what's the point? What's the point of it all? He's not here. What a failure. What a failure. And to live a life that we're only sitting and waiting, and in the interim and during that time, we see it as a failure, that's the failure. That's the failure. Because while of course, animam and bemunashlema, we long for, we believe, we get ready for, we should have Rav Biton, the Rav of Kilat Eretz Chemda, we've gotten very close with. And I don't even remember when, but videos of him that I've shared when I've been on the trips to Israel, Rav Biton, who's serving in the north of Israel, he, he took with him a suit. He took with him a suit when he's called up for Miluim because he's ready for when Mashiach will come. Who did that? People grabbed, some forgot to take their tefillin. They left on Simchas Torah, October 7th, they didn't bring their tefillin. But he had the wherewithal, his mindset was, I'm being called up in the reserves, I'm going to the northern, northern border to fight. He brought with him a suit so that he's ready to welcome Mashiach. That's Rav Biton. I shared with you, he's the one who carries the Rabbin Bechaya Shara Bitochon in his pocket. And he said to me, you want to see my secret weapon? I thought he was going to take out a grenade, an Uzi, an RPG, a, a new type of gun or a bullet with a new tip at the end. He takes out this tiny little, tiny little Shara Bitochon. He starts waving it to the enemy. He says, this is my secret weapon. Take that, take that, take that. His Bitochon. He's living with, with the Muna Shlema. We're sitting and we're waiting for Mashiach. But said Rav Kluger last night, we shouldn't think that in the interim, a life until he comes is a wasted, squandered life. This is life. This is where Hashem wants us. This is what we're meant to be doing. And we can have a meaningful and full relationship, a rich relationship with Hashem. So if you're sitting and waiting and watching and saying he's not here, and therefore everything is a failure because he's not here yet, so then that's a failure of a life. You forfeited and you've squandered all that opportunity and all that meaning. But we need to lean in and we need to embrace and we need to make the most of and we need to bring him. And we need to bring him. And even if he's not here, but Hashem is here, even in the Golas of Mitzrayim, those are the parashas that we're reading. And they're very apropos as we're reading the harshness of the Golas of Mitzrayim, the exile in Egypt, in which... We spoke about yesterday in the parasha here. Hashem turns to Moshe. Moshe turns to Hashem. Lama hariyos, lama zeh. Enough. 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 Enough funerals. Enough widows. Enough orphans. Enough parents bearing children. Enough shivas. Enough. 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 Lama hariyos, lama zeh. We can't take it. We can't take it. It's enough. This gullus Mitzrayim. We just want. We just want geula. He said also last night of Kluger. He said, you know, we want a small gola. Gola means exile darkness and harshness and bad news, Gola's exile. And we want Hashem, it should be small. Why do we have to suffer? It should be small. He said, but you know, there's only one difference between the word Gola and Geula. What's the difference between the word Gola and Geula? One letter. The letter Aleph. Aleph is always the Alufo Shel Olam. Aleph is the one and only, the unique and singular, the one Hashem. Alufo, the master of the universe. Alufo Shel Olam, the Aleph. So he said, if you have a small Gola and you add the Aleph to get to Geula, but it's going to be a small Geula. Because you made the font small. You made your gola small, and you add the aleph, it's going to be also a small geula. So get out of the way and let Hashem do His thing. He knows. He knows when it feels like a big gola, because He's setting us up for a big geula. And the aleph is going to insert himself. The alufo shel olam is going to enter the picture and enter the scene. And on the heels and in the shadow of the Holocaust was the birth of the state of Israel. And the six-day war that hovered over us, where they dug graves, hundreds of thousands, thinking they were going to lose a significant part of the population, we recovered and we have a unified Yerushalayim Ira Kodesh. And sometimes when it feels like that Gola is so big and so overwhelming, and where is Mashiach? When the Alufa Shalolam adds his Aleph, when the Aleph answers, so that big Gola 
is set up and positioned for that big, that big ge'ula. We're waiting, we want, we're longing. But in the interim, while we wait, it's not squandered and it's not wasted. In the interim and while we wait is an opportunity to be with and to feel the presence of, of Hashem. To be with and to feel the presence of Hashem. So each day we're in Golis is not a farfalan day and it's a wasted day and it's a frustrated day and it's a day that we forfeit because after all, here we are, Hashem has paskined, we're still in Golis. Hashem has determined and decided here we are still in exile. It's not a wasted day. That's where we're meant to be. That's where He put us. This is where we have to be for right now. And now the question is, what do I have to do? What's my mission? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What difference am I meant to make? What's my role? How am I a leader? What am I meant to do while I'm here? So yes, I'm waiting. Yes, I'm longing for Mashiach to come. But it's not a holding pattern. It's not like while I'm here, there's nothing else I can do. And my entire definition is determined by whether he comes or not. And we'll have a card in our wallet, in our pocket, with a bracha, we're ready to say to welcome him. Halavai and Amir Tzashem, by the end of the year, he should be here and escort us all. And we'll go see Rav Biton in his white suit in Israel, coming from victory. Halavai, halavai, halavai. And if not, that's not what was meant to be today. And what's meant to be today is the chesed we're going to do, and the davening we're going to do, and the brachas we're going to say, and the akar satov we're going to feel, and the amuna that we're going to practice, and all the other things that we're going to do to repair Hashem's world, to repair Hashem's world. I thought it was such an important message. He said many things, more than that. But among the things he said, Rav Kluger, I thought it was such an important message, is that we shouldn't define our day by whether Mashiach came or not, whether this gola ended, because... We have to be ready for a big, big ge'ula, the alufo shal olam, to add his letter, to add his name in. I want to share with you one emuna email, and then we'll get into this new lima. The new lima today is from Rechaim Shmulevitz. Rechaim Shmulevitz was a Rebbe in the Mir in, in Europe, in Rosh Shiva in Shanghai, and then in Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh. And we have a collection of the sikhas of the, of the Musr Shmuzas that he gave in the Mir. It's called, it's called Sikhos Musr. And at the end of Sikhos Musr is an addendum of the, of the Sichos, the new edition of Sichos Musr, is an addendum called uh, L'Regal HaMatzav. He spoke and he gave tremendous chizuk to the yeshiva, to the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim throughout the Six-Day War, when the period of the Six-Day War. And those uh, Sichos were collected. So we're going to learn the same message is what we need to hear now. The same messages are what we need to hear now. But first, a quick email from our, not from our sponsor. I've been listening to the Rav Zlavi of the Ministry for quite some time. I always look forward, blah, blah, blah. I'm at the stage of Shiduchim, and the Rav Shiram had begun a lot of chizik through the journey. Every year I look forward to hearing the Imuna emails where everyone takes the lessons the Rav gives over and applies, applies them to their lives. I have a story and I'm excited to share. Around nine months ago, this is more, this is a great story, but it's not an Israel war story. It's more of back to the old days of the mundane story, but they're important also to see and to feel Hashem in our lives every day and, and where He is. Around nine months ago, my mother gave me a shopping list of things to buy for Pesach. Well, I'm very aware of the stereotype of not sending men shopping. I decided that day I'm going to prove the stereotype wrong. As I went through the list thoroughly, making sure everything on the list was marked off with perfection, I was excited to come home with a great job well done. As I came home with a big smile on my face, handing the bags over to my mother, I said, who said you can't send men shopping? She went through the bags one by one, seeing everything on the list been checked off exactly the way she wanted. Until right before I was about to take my victory lap, I heard, oh boy. I turned around confused, thinking to myself, this can't be. She looked at me holding the cranberry sauce and said to me, this isn't kosher for Pesach. Not to mention the store had been turned over at 95% kosher for Pesach. I somehow managed to get the non-kosher for Pesach cranberry sauce versus the kosher for Pesach one. But the story was not over yet. 
Fast forward nine months later, the family's having a big get-together for Shabbos. A lot of cooking had to be done. My mother was making her delicious cranberry apple crunch. However, we ran out of cranberry sauce. She wanted me to go quickly out to buy the sauce because if not now, there is not going to be enough time before Shabbos to do it. All the cars were currently being occupied. There was no way to get to the store. And Nebuch, the family, would not have the world-famous cranberry, world-famous cranberry apple crunch. It's good stuff. The heaven makes cranberry apple crunch. Once upon a time, that was called dessert. Somehow that made it into the main course of the meal. Made it into the main course of the meal. But anyway, I digress. Let's get back to the email. Um, as she looked desperately through all the shelves, all through the kitchen, hopefully to find one more can, I heard her scream my name, saying, look what I found. Lo and behold, the cranberry sauce I accidentally bought for Pesach, I didn't know then, but I was really buying for this Shabbos. The moment this all occurred, I knew I had to share the story with the Rav, showing a classic example of Shem was orchestrating everything from all points in time, causing me to buy the Boron cranberry sauce in order so we could have it for Shabbos nine months later. Nothing is a coincidence. Hashem pulls the strings the whole time, and every time a mother sends her son shopping, if they make a mistake, it's really Hashem telling them what to buy. I like that moral of the story. <laughs> I fully concur with that conclusion. Thank you much. I hope you enjoyed the story. I very much enjoyed the story. And I agree entirely with it. And it is a great example. Not every example is at the highest level of the person who suffered a terrible loss. Some examples are also, uh, are also the mundane type. And this is one. But what's beautiful about it, and we'll get back to my encouraging you, if you don't yet have with your family or friends, or for yourself, a WhatsApp group called Hashkacha Pratis WhatsApp group, in which every day you find a story to share of what happened. The parking spot. Turned out you got the cranberry sauce that you thought was the wrong one was the right one. The flight, it was changed, it was delayed, it was canceled, but it worked out. There's always, and you don't just, you don't just leave a message, a voice note for the Hashkacha Pratis stories that worked out. And then can you believe it? It all worked out perfectly, but also when it didn't, and it was frustrating or disappointing, it's all from above, it's all from, it is all from Hashem. Tonight's uh, Behind the Bima that's going to be posted, dropped tonight, is a conversation with Hadass Lowenstern. His husband, Alicia, was uh, killed in Gaza. This uh, Friday night Shabbos will be the Shloshim marking it. His grandparents, Alicia's grandparents, were members of our shul for many, many years at Lowensterns. His uncle lives still in our community, is a member of our, our community. And he was an exceptional person, whose emuna and bitachon were off the charts in how he lived, in how he lived his life. And uh, the conversation with her is she's just not from this world. The stories that she tells and the feeling that she has and the gratitude to Hashem, all with her sick children, the youngest is 10 months old, who won't have memories of her father and never even said the word Abba yet. She's not speaking yet. And she addresses that, and yet within it finds the capacity to feel that everything is from Hashem. And when I asked her, he, he was done with the reserves. I didn't know this. There's a law in Israel. Once you have six children, you are released from the army. And you no longer have to serve in reserves. You no longer are called up in Miluim. So when a war broke out and his WhatsApp group with the rest of his unit, everybody was mentioning they were called up. He wasn't called up and he called his commander. Why wasn't I called up? He said, because you were released because you're 10 month old now, 10 month old because your sixth child was born. He said, that's nice, I'm showing up anyway. And he went to serve anyway, he put on his uniform and he served anyway. And I asked her, do you, do you regret his decision? Do you think he made a mistake? Would you take it back? And you have to hear her answer. It's just not from this world. It's not from this world. Her everything. And her akar for everything, including the fact that she says, and I'm sorry to get graphic, but she says, she says, you know, the anti-tank missile that, that killed her husband, 
hit him from the waist below, so she was still able to have him to say goodbye to and to see his face one more time. And Hashem is amazing and she's so grateful and so many didn't have that. And she starts to list a long list of things that Hashem did for her, even in this horror, for which she is so grateful and sees the hand of Hashem. So from the apple cranberry sauce stories of our life to the Hadass Lowenstern stories of our life and many people in between, the tools that it gives us to live our life I spoke to a group of women yesterday who were here on a chizik mission and I met an amazing woman whose husband had ALS and, and passed away. And she told me she had stumbled upon our Amuna Shir on Spotify, which is music to my ears. I love hearing that. I love Spotify. It's a great algorithm that keeps me going, that people stumble upon. And she shared with me that from when she stumbled upon it until her husband's neshama left this world, they listened every day together to an Amuna Shir, sometimes two a day, sometimes one more than, more than once. And that's not a big deal. The Amunashir is very easy to give. I'm busy thinking about apple cranberry crunch. That's easy to forgive. But she then described to me, and I told her to please send me an email. Not I, because I want it for my files, because I want to share it with you, and I hope she will take the time to do it, because she's extraordinary. She went on to list when he passed away, and the family, and what they were able to do, and they were able to bury and Hashem is so amazing, and the Amuna muscle that she had so worked out and that was so strong and robust was ready to bear that weight of the experience of the loss of her husband. It was tragic and it was horrific and she cried and she's grieving. And of course he's irreplaceable to her. Amuna doesn't make our problems go away. Amuna doesn't make happy, life be happy-go-lucky. Amuna doesn't lead to life uh, happy after, uh, ever after. Amuna doesn't do that. That's not what Amuna does. But what Amuna does is it gives us the tools and it gives us the koach, and it gives us the strength to navigate wherever we need to go. That's what Amuna does. Amuna is like Torah, the Ramchal writes in Mesil Sasharim. He says, Torah is Lashon Or. Torah comes from the language of light. If the light is off in the room, let's say it's nighttime, there's no light from the outside. If the light's off in the room, and we're in a room, there's a bima, there are chairs, there are tables, there are shtenders. How am I going to get from here to the door to get out? If the light's off, I'm going to trip, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall over, I'm going to chalila hurt myself. So what is Torah? Torah turns the light on. Ora, Torah zu ora. Gemara Megillah says, Torah turns the light on. Had the light help? The light didn't empty the room of the table and the chairs and the shtenders. You know what the light did? It let me now navigate them. I'm able to get to the destination, to where I want to go, and I'm able to navigate around or over or under or through whatever's in my way. It doesn't change the reality of the world, but it gives me the tools, the light, the illumination to be able to navigate. That's what Torah, that's what Amuna do. It doesn't, Torah doesn't take away, and a life of Amuna, it doesn't take away loneliness or infertility or illness or poverty or war. It doesn't remove those things. We live in a world in Nebuch, unfortunately, until Mashiach comes, those are the things that we have to overcome. Those are the challenges that we have to confront. What Torah and Amuna do, is it gives us the strength, the tools, the power to be able to navigate, to get to the destination, to where we need to go. For the little things, like missing an ingredient that could frustrate, having a flight canceled, my three o'clock meeting just texted me right before we began. He wrote, Mazel Tov, you have your three o'clock back. My flight was just canceled. I won't be coming in today. But there's a, there's a, no, for me, it's easy. I'm grateful to have my three o'clock. What are you doing at three o'clock? You want to get together at three o'clock? I have a three o'clock. 
It's plenty of things to fill that time, lest you uh, worry for me. But, um, but for him, it's frustrating. He had a flight, he had meetings, he had plans, he had some, a whole lot of things that were orchestrated. So Amuna doesn't change that. Well, I have Amuna. My flights aren't supposed to get canceled. I have Amuna. I'm not supposed to get bad news. I have Amuna. My husband's supposed to come home from war. Amuna doesn't do that. Oruzu Torah, Amuna turns the light on. It gives us the strength and the power. Whether you're missing an ingredient, whether your flight is canceled, whether your husband doesn't come home from war, or whether your husband is not cured from ALS, it gives us those tools. Not that we don't cry and we're not sad and we don't grieve, but that we have the capacity and the strength, despite it, to be able to navigate it. I'll give you one other preview of the conversation with her. Many of the soldiers who went to war wrote a letter. This is a, tragically the minug, to write a letter to your family in case you don't come back, in case you don't come home. Dr. Joshua Berman, whose parents are members here, wrote an article this week on Times of Israel. He collected several of those letters and put them together. We're going to put that article in the weekly because it's so powerful to read the letters of these fallen soldiers and what was on their mind before they went to battle. So Hadass shares that her husband, Elisha, Hashem Yikom Damo, did not write a letter. And when the others in his tank asked why he didn't write a letter, he said, because there's nothing I have that's unsaid. I've told my family... exactly how I feel about them and what I value and what I live for, they know it all. I don't need to leave them or write a letter for them. And that's her message to us and his memories, don't leave anything unsaid. Go call, go meet, go reconcile, go speak to, go live, go live. So your children don't have to read in a letter, oh, that's what you care about? Oh, we never noticed you do that. Live a life so that nobody needs to read a letter to know what you value. They simply saw you demonstrate what you value. It's an unbelievable idea that he said. There's nothing wrong with writing the letter. Those who wrote the letter left a beautiful gift in these circumstances to their family too. So Khalila, it's not that anyone who wrote a letter left too many things unsaid or it's a, a failure in them. Their letters are beautiful, they're meaningful. We're sharing them in the weekly this week because they are inspiring and powerful for all of us. But I thought it was also a very powerful message and an important charge that she gives us to say that live a life where nothing is unsaid. Go live a life that no matter what happens, because any of us, whether one is going to war or just wants to wake up in the morning, none of us know what that day will bring. None of us know. So don't leave things that are unsaid. Say what we have to say. The handout's here if you'd like to follow it inside. Rav Chaim Shmulevet Zatzal, Rosh Hashim of the Mirror. This is during the six-day war. Erev Sukkot, Tavshin Lamed Dalad. Isa Bebrachos, the Gemara Bebrachos says, the Gemara says, somebody who weakens themselves, somebody who weakens themselves, who is lax when it comes to Torah, does not have the strength to overcome and persevere during a crisis, during a challenging time. It's very counterintuitive. I would have thought, you're running back and forth to doctors, you're running back and forth to a hospital, you're running back and forth to treatment, you're running back and forth to a, to a, a rehab, you're running back and forth to the army. You're running back and forth to who has time? Who has time to learn? If there's ever a time that you're excused, it's during an illness, it's during a war, it's during a time of worry, it's during a time of crisis. If there's ever a time that you're excused from Torah, you're legitimately preoccupied with staying alive. I would have thought, but it's not what the Gemara says. Baruch HaSam HaKim 63. Say Chazal. You want to survive, you want to persevere, you want to overcome, you want to have the strength, then you need to learn Torah. 
You need to learn Torah, you need to have contact, you need to have connection, you need to draw strength and power from, and protection from Torah, from Torah. I shared with you, Ephraim Jackman, Hashem Yikom Dama, the young soldier who was killed, whose father texted me when I reached out to him that his son, that Ephraim, got up early every day in Gaza to daven without distraction and to learn the dafyomi. And Hadash shares about Elisha too. There was a picture she got from Gaza, from his unit, the tank unit, that they had some downtime. This one's schluffing. This one's making that yucky soldier coffee in a little pot on the fire. This one is uh, eating. This one's resting. And Elisha's learning the dafyomi. Learning the dafyomi. Whether it's Elisha Lowenstein, Hashem Yikom Damo, learning the dafyomi. Ephraim Jackman, who woke up early in Gaza, woke up early, not after eight, nine, ten hours of restful sleep, we mentioned last Shabbos, soldiers can't take their shoes off. You go weeks or months at a time getting, without getting undressed and without taking a shower. It's possible when I told our son that his cousin hasn't taken a shower in weeks. He's in Gaza fighting. You know, you can't shower for weeks. A light bulb went off and he said, can I join the army? You don't, you don't have to shower for weeks. He's an age that's okay. That's okay. If he were a little older, I'd be nervous. But he's an age that that's still okay when he said that. So it's not like it was after eight, nine, ten hours. It's not like a hot bath and a warm shower and Ephraim Jackman had a good sleep and now he woke up early to learn the dafyomi before going back to fight. It's after sleeping with a uniform and shoes on and a vest and not showering or changing clothing in weeks or months and despite that, waking up early every day to learn Torah because because if you disconnect from Torah, if you disassociate from Torah, if you don't nourish yourself, just like you can't survive if you don't eat. In an ace tzara, as a rabbi, I go to a lot of people, whether it's bedside in the hospital or elsewhere, who are in a time of crisis. And one of the things, you know, the rabbi things that you gotta say is, are you eating? You gotta take care of yourself. Are you making sure to eat? Are you taking care of yourself? Why? Because you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself and you're not gonna get better if you don't eat. Okay, it's an ace tzara, I understand it's a crisis. But you're gonna not eat, you're gonna not sleep, that's gonna make things better. You have to eat and you have to sleep because you can't persevere through whatever you need to overcome and confront. If you don't eat and you don't sleep, say chazal, you know what goes with eating and sleeping? Torah. If you don't connect with Torah, if you don't imbibe some Torah, if you don't absorb some Torah, whether you're listening, whether you're reading, whether you're watching, whether you're thinking about the very Torah, but if you don't connect with Torah, like eating and sleeping, you cannot persevere, you cannot overcome whatever tzara you are facing. Now again, Rechaim Shalevitz is giving the sicha where? Six-day war, where is he giving this, delivering this? In the Beis Medrash of the Mir of Yerushalayim, he's speaking to B'nai Yeshiva, and he's telling them, you have a greater responsibility. This is your service. This is your contribution to this war. You can't say, well, it's an Eistzara, I'm following the news. I can't focus, I can't pay attention, I need a break. You can't say that, because Divrei Torah. You know what else Rechaim Shalavit said? And many Rosh Yeshiva said it again now, after Sukkot, and on Hanukkah, there is no Benazmanim. There was no Hanukkah vacation. The soldiers don't get to go home for a long weekend of Hanukkah, Shabbos Hanukkah. Soldiers didn't get to go home for a Benazmanim on the calendar. So if your service is in a base medrash and learning Torah, there is no Benazmanim. And the yeshivas throughout Eretz Yisrael and of Shechter Yeshiva University and elsewhere, they canceled. There's no break. There's no vacation. There's no Benazmanim. Soldiers didn't get it. We don't get it, said Rav Chaim to the Mir in the Six-Day War in 1967. 
And the Kola Yungalite, the Kola members, married those learning in Yeshiva who are married, need to remind their wives what Chazal say, Gemara Brochus, Yudzayin, Soto Chavalaf, Shashalu, Noshem Bemai Zachyan. Women, what is their merit? What is their schus? Women can learn. Here you are at the Amunashir, and we have our beautiful Midrashah, and we have Mrs. Kanner's incredible shear that is, you should, if you don't go, you should all be going, in addition to the other Midrashah Shiurim. So women certainly can learn on their own. But, Bemai Zachian said the Gemara at a time that it was not popular or women were not literate to learn. True, women have many mitzvos they can do and many masim tovim that they are occupied with. But But women's greatest merit is enabling and supporting and encouraging and empowering the learning of Torah in the lives of those around them. Even in ordinary times, and especially in this moment. And I want to dwell on this for a second. I want to dwell on this for a second. Because it often gets underestimated or underappreciated or even is perceived as being some biased, misogynistic statement or approach. And I want to strongly encourage exactly the opposite. Because sometimes it can feel, you know, the, the man or the husband or the father He's back in the base Medrash, he's at the Kolo Boker, he's at the Dafyomi, he's at the Amad he's at the Smichas Chaver, he's at the Shir with Rav Kluger. And what am I doing? I'm driving carpool. I'm packing lunch for school. I'm making dinner so that, or I'm taking care of bedtime so you can be at night Seder. What am I doing? And Chazal said, you know what you're doing? Your schus is the greatest of them all. Empowering and encouraging and enabling Limit Torah. It's the holiest activity. And it could and it should transform that effort and that energy. You're not driving carpool. You're driving the coin Gadol to the Beis Amikdash to the Kodesh HaKadashim. You're not driving carpool. You're driving a soldier to the front line. Your fifth grader. Your little fifth grader who you fought to get his pants on and to take the shower and to brush his teeth. That fifth grader, that your little fifth grader that you're fighting with, that is one of the soldiers of Klai Yisrael. That when you drive carpool, you're dropping him off to his unit to go do his contribution to this war, to open his Mishnah, his Haschalas Gemara, his, uh, what's the booklet called? Lahavin. You see how often I help with homework. Lahavin. That's his, those are his weapons. So you're making sure his backpack is packed because those are his weapons. And you're giving him his lunch because those are his provisions. And you're dropping him in fifth grade because that's his unit. And you're putting him in his classroom with his Rebbe because that's his front line. And you can turn what is frustrating and annoying and difficult and exhausting and seemingly unfair into the holiest activity, into a righteous, religious, noble, holy activity. It's not all. You also can come to the Amunah Shir, Mrs. Kanah Shir, and Rabbi Sintauga Shir, and Mrs. Zaharowitz Shir, and did I leave anybody out? Rabbi Shabtai Shir, I don't want to leave anybody out. And uh, this is whoever else teaches in the Midrash. There's, uh, it's not in lieu of or instead of. It's in addition to. It's in addition to. But it should not be underestimated or underappreciated the contribution of enabling and supporting and including muttering your husband who wants to turn over and go back to sleep and not make it to the dafyomi, and you throw an elbow in his side and you set four alarm clocks and six snoozes and you tell him, hey, Eisvarf, get out of bed. I didn't marry a quitter. 
I didn't marry some low good reject, no good reject, lazy, good for nothing, turn over, go back to sleep. Get up and get, don't say that. I don't want to have to meet with you for Shalom Bayan. <laughs> but wake him up and get him and say, I know you had a tough day at work. I know you're exhausted. I know you didn't get much sleep last night. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Totally understandable if you don't want to make it out to the shear tonight. But I want you to know, if you want to go to the shear tonight, I got your back. I got, the, I got the house. I got it covered. Go. I want to encourage you. And I want to tell the children, isn't Abba amazing? He's exhausted. He worked so hard. And yet he still went to go learn. You don't understand the schus that you have. You don't understand the power that you have. You don't understand the influence that you have in the tone of the home, in the message to the children, to a family, into defining a family as a Torah family, into bringing out the best in your husband, who's counting on you because you're the Akeres Abayas. Is that fair? Maybe not. Did you sign up for it? Probably not. Did the Shadchan bring it up? Was it on the resume? I would like to be an Akeres Abayas. I am prepared to annoy my husband and make sure that he goes to learn and will be the best. You probably didn't put that on your resume and you didn't tell it to the Shadchan, and it's probably not what you spoke about in the Yichud room. When you turn over and want to go back to sleep, I will be there to throw an elbow in your ribs. I will pour water on your head. I will do whatever it takes to get you out that door. Probably not. Why is that fair? It's not. And when you do it, and you are the anchor of that home, that Akeres Abayas, and you are defining that home, and you are bringing the schus and the merit to that home, and you are putting that shield and protection around that home, and you are making that contribution to Klaiso and to this war, fifth grader, first grader, the high school kid, everything that you're doing to enable, to encourage, to empower, to elevate the learning of Torah and the energy that that's bringing to this world, it's, it, it can't be put into words. And it takes a moment of mindfulness to not be miserable about another carpool and miserable about packing another backpack and miserable about ensuring another lunch and snacks and miserable about having to meet the next bus drop off. But all of those are religious activities. Those are, those are avodas yom kippurim. That's the Kodesh HaKadoshim. These are units of the army. These are soldiers giving their contribution, packing that backpack with the Mishnah, with the Siddur, with the Chumash, with the lunch. That's, those are the weapons of Am Yisrael and Klai Yisrael. It's extraordinary, and it's unbelievable, and it's unbelievable. He's in the base medrash, 1967, Six-Day War. He's turning to the Bachram and he says, no excuses, no bitel Torah, no long breaks in the coffee room, no checking your phone, they didn't have phones then, no wasting time. It's a war. It's an Eitzara. It's only with Torah. He turns to the married, Avrechem, the Kolo Yengalite, and he says to him, you go home and you buy your wife a gift. You go home and you say thank you to your wife. You go home and you recognize and appreciate and put on a pedestal the wife who lets you leave to come learn and to learn extra and to go back out for night seder. And you make her realize that she is the key and the source and deserves the credit for all of it. I'm not giving away the whole thing because I promise you it's still worth watching. But Adas said that her husband, Alicia, every Rosh Chodesh for the 13 years of their marriage brought her a Rosh Chodesh gift because Rosh Chodesh is the woman's holiday. They didn't give, she didn't get into this, but the women didn't give their money to the Chet Egel. They didn't make the donation. Instead, they kept their jewelry. And when did they run to donate it? 
to the campus expansion plan. <laughs> That's where they ran to go donate it. Where'd they run to donate it? The building of the Mishkan. Building of the Mishkan. So Hashem says, ooh, wah, what am I going to repay them with? So he says, what do I have left in my, in my repertoire, in my arsenal, in my storehouse? Well, the Shalosh Regalim I already gave to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And he goes through everything that he gave out. Shabbos and Yantif I gave to... What do I have left? I'm going to give Rosh Chodesh to the women. Rosh Chodesh is to women. And that's why the Shulchan Aruch records, they didn't teach this to you women, you know why? Because it was male teachers. But women, Rosh Chodesh is a woman's holiday, no laundry, you shouldn't have to make dinner on Rosh Chodesh, which either he should make dinner or if you want to eat better, buy takeout. <laughs> you saw what happened when you send the man shopping. Gets the wrong non-kosher for Pesach cranberry sauce. That's what happens. But Rosh Chodesh is a woman's holiday. Is that just arbitrary? Hashem was like, what do I have left? Let's see. Ah, Rosh Chodesh. I'll just give them that. It's quasi-holiday. It's not even a full holiday. You don't even have an Isra Malacha. No. You know why? What is Rosh Chodesh? You know what Rosh Chodesh is? When is Rosh Chodesh? What does the moon look like on Rosh Chodesh? If I were in charge and I were making a holiday to celebrate the moon, I would have established that holiday when the moon is full. But when we celebrate Rosh Chodesh, it is on the first of the month. Next time it's the first of the month, go outside and look up. And what will you see? Yeah, that's uh, tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh is tomorrow. Tomorrow, Taka. So tonight, tomorrow, go look outside and you will see the moon is barely discernible. It is a sliver. It is a sliver. That's when you make Rosh Chodesh. Make it when it's full, when it's complete, when it's round, when it's brightest, when you see it high in the sky. You're making it when it's a sliver and you have to, anyone see it? Where's the moon? Did the new moon? Where's the new moon? That's when you make Rosh Chodesh. Because what is Rosh Chodesh? Chidush is chadshis. Rosh Chodesh is to be roa es hanolad. The capacity to anticipate, to predict, to believe, to have faith that something's yet going to come. That's why the Klal Yisrael, we don't follow the solar calendar, we follow the lunar calendar. We are a people of the moon, not the sun. Because the sun is stationary, that same sun is full and it's round and it's always there and it rises exactly. This past Friday, Erev Shabbos Bavarchem, we had our sunrise mini at the beach and it was one of those beautiful ones where punked exactly when the Luach says it's supposed to rise, whatever it says, sunrise is. You looked up and the tip of the sun came up over the horizon, over the ocean. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I have beautiful pictures of it as the sun came up right over the horizon, over the ocean. Sun is predictable, the sun is full, the sun is always there, the sun is always complete. But the moon, it waxes and wanes. The moon is sometimes a sliver, then it grows larger. And even after it grows larger, it doesn't stay that way forever. So it's not that tonight it's a sliver, and then the 15th of the month it'll be full. And finally, Baruch Hashem, it'll stay full, it'll be full, it'll remain full forever. No, what happens after it's full? What happens the whole second half of the month? Then it diminishes. And it's David It's like the Jewish people grows larger and smaller. We have our highs and our lows. It's the roller coaster of what it is to be a Jew and to be a Yid. So why do we celebrate Rosh Chodesh when it's a tiny sliver? Because we know it's growing to grow large. We believe with complete faith and optimism and hope, and we know with certainty and confidence that it's going to be full again. How do we know that? The men, they were reliable? No. The men were panicking, and they were therefore building an eagle, and the woman said, buddy, husband, Relax. Moshe's coming back. You miscalculated. Have a little faith. Show a little patience. Relax. Just relax. What are you doing? Then Moshe says, it's time to build a Mishka. And they say, now, go, act. 
take it. Now we're ready to give. So Hashem says, ooh, the women who excel at patience and looking to the future and being and anticipation and hope and faith and optimism and belief in a brighter future, those women who took us out of Mitzrayim, we just read last week, because when the men gave their wives a get, divorced them and said, I love you, and I really wish I could stay with you, but we have to have no more children, so I have to separate from you. Because this world is so harsh, this world is so miserable and cruel that we're not bringing any more children into it. And Miriam looked up, four years old, and said to her father, you're worse than Paro. Paro just wants to get rid of the males, you're getting rid of everyone, males and females. You're worse than Paro. No children at all? You're worse than Paro. And to Amram's credit, after Musa from a four-year-old, he doesn't say, go to your room. He doesn't say, time out, chutzpah. He says, she's got a point. She's got a point. And the women went and they beautified themselves in their mirrors that they had in Mitzrayim. And they attracted the attention of their husband. And they reunited with them and they had children. They didn't just have children, they prolificated, they promulgated, they multiplied. They had an incredible amount of children. Who has children in such a miserable world? Those who believe that the world is miserable right now, but the moon's going to grow full, that it's going to be bright, that there's a reason to bring children into this world. You know when this happened again? And what do we do with those mirrors? Those mirrors were the bottom of the kior. And while Moshe said, mirrors, instruments of vanity, I don't want them in our, in our holy mishkan. Hashem said, those are the most precious instruments that there are. Those are the holiest kalim vessels in a mishkan. Because the women looked in those mirrors to beautify themselves, to demonstrate their faith that the world was yet worth bringing children into. And you know when we replicated that? You know when there was an incredible Jewish population explosion? Immediately after the Shoah in the DP camps. Displaced people who were skeletons, who were shadows of human beings, skeletons, survivors in the displaced persons camps, had children, many children. Probably, again, if it were up to the men, they would have said, we survived, that's good enough. Who has the energy or wants to make the effort to have children, to have to send them to school, feed them, wake up in the middle of the night, change their diapers, have the small children, small problems, big children, big problems. We survived, that's enough. Let's just get on with it. And again, probably, their wives said no. That's not why we survived. We survived so that we can have children and a continuity and a bright future. And in those DP camps, this is fact. You know how it's fact? Because you can Google it. It's fact. Check up on me if you want. But there was a Jewish population explosion in the DP camp. A people who limped away from a Holocaust as mere skeletons were determined that the world would yet become worth bringing children into. Those women, those Nashim Tzidkanios. And because of that, Women are roa esanolad. Because of that, Alicia Lowenstein brought Hadas a Rosh Chodesh gift every Rosh Chodesh. Every Rosh Chodesh. So tonight and tomorrow are Rosh Chodesh. And she said, what is she going to do? Okay, I'll get you a gift, whatever you want. <laughs> Three o'clock today, we'll spend time together. Happy Rosh Chodesh. So she said, what am I going to do? Alicia's not here to get me a gift. And you have to hear the most incredible story of Hashkacha Pratis. When she heard that thought, her doorbell rang, and you'll hear the rest when you watch or listen to Behind the Bima. That is Rosh Chodesh. So so this is what women merit, is, is encouraging and enabling and empowering the learning of Torah, their own learning of Torah, 
but also their role and their responsibility to their spouse, to their children, and the other learning of Torah. So we only began with the first two paragraphs this week, but this was Rav Chaim Shmulevitz's opening message. Opening message. This is Maimar Aleph. There are six Ma'amarim, six Sichas, six speeches that he gave in the Six-Day War to the Talmidim of the Mir Yeshiva. And we'll go through them together because the messages are the same in the war then and the war now. And the opening statement of his message to the Bnei Yeshiva in the war was, this is not a time to be distracted from Torah, to disengage from Torah, to, this is a time to imbibe as much Torah as possible. That's our anchor. That's our strength. Just like we need to eat and sleep in order to be able to persevere and survive whatever we need to navigate, so too we need Torah. We can't have rifyon, you can't have weakening from Torah. And so their bochrem, double down. Avrechem, young galait, married, Students of Torah, appreciate and thank your wives and double down. This is a time that we need to double down. Each of us figure out in our own way and the Mitzvah Shem will pick up next time. Please stay for Tehillim. We're going to complete all of Sefer Tehillim. Everyone is encouraged to remain.